Hi, this is Kendall Boyson, professional life and recovery coach, and you're listening to Encouragementology, the practice of instilling hope. Hi there. Thanks for joining me. On this show, it's time for a reality check as we wind down and take a step back to evaluate what's working and what's not. What's the definition of insanity? Oh yeah, doing the same thing over and over but expecting a different result. It's time to take charge and get real. There's another saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But when is the last time you looked under the hood? Nope, this year we're not leaving anything to chance, but instead taking a proactive approach as we take an honest deep dive into our lives. Sometimes it's hard to get a good perspective when you're so close to the subject, i.e. ourselves. So we'll consult some experts, relate with some stories, pull our vantage point back to get the bigger picture, and make a commitment to embrace change. See if you relate. I'm guilty of putting my head down and barreling toward a project or idea with just sheer will. I feel like reward and success come from hard work instead of admitting to myself strategy plays a pretty critical role. Like diet and exercise, they go hand in hand and rarely work alone. But the strategy part can be confusing and is where self-doubt enters the picture. Push square into round hole. Twist, try again, push harder, you get the picture. Strategy takes time, some research, evaluation, and patience, but the payoff surpasses the exercise. Heather Tim helps us with how to evaluate your life and change it if needed, found at CourageousAndMindful.com. Are you feeling fed up with the way your life's going? Have you been struggling with the what's the point thought and uncomfortable emotions? There's a beautiful thing about feelings. They tell you something is up. What's even more beautiful about them is they spur you into some decisions. Whether that decision is to do something different or not, that's entirely up to you. Sometimes we experience a moment of awareness that has us stop and evaluate the way things are going. Whether it's a thought, an emotion, or the realization that you possess a spirit that won't settle. At some point, we experience the need to stop and evaluate. So here are some questions to help you. Number one, what am I happy with? We start with this question because, let's face it, when we're evaluating or reevaluating our lives, it's because we're not happy. But it also doesn't mean that everything in our life is going wrong either. We sometimes forget to remember the things that are going right. So what are the things in your life that you're happy with? These can be things that you wouldn't change or if you were to change would make you more comfortable. But what if you don't know the answer to this question? What if you're sitting there going, hello, I have no idea what makes me happy. That's why I'm listening to this. Well, you're in luck because we're going to talk about that. I'm going to go out on another limb and assume that you're a human that's alive and the society that you've grown up with has a few ideas of what happiness should look like when 
You're thinner or toned or more muscular or you have all of those things. Your checking and savings account has more zeros in it than a negative sign. Your home has more square footage that lets in natural sunlight with beautiful yards. Visualize a better homes and gardens. You get that promotion or degree or whatever it is to add more zeros to your accounts. Maybe it's when you're in a committed relationship and have kiddos or intend to have them. And perhaps some of these things might make you happier. Exercising regularly releases feel-good chemicals into the brain that makes us happier. And having connections with others tends to make us happier too. But there's also more to life. So how do we find it? First, take notice when you're really happy and jot it down with good notes. I'm talking about those times when you're thinking, this is amazing, wonderful, great, and life needs more of this. Those are the moments that you need to be writing down with all the details. I think we forget when we experience these moments because they're sometimes pretty brief. Get out there and experiment. Take notice of those moments when you close your eyes and inhale the scent of your favorite coffee and think, ah, yes. Or the times that you turn your face towards the warmth of the sun and you close your eyes, you know, so you don't go blind. And let yourself grin. Or when you're cooking yourself alive in the bath or shower and wishing the hot water would never run out. Now, let's dissect those moments to figure out what it is about them that makes them happy. What is it about them that brings pleasure? Are there sensory elements that make them pleasurable? Do these moments give me time to myself or time to spend with others? Do I feel recharged afterward? What about when you were a kid? Before society told you that it wasn't cool to do that, what did you used to enjoy doing? Did you used to love to play in the mud? What about finger painting? Legos? Watching Disney movies? So now... What makes you happy? Number two, what is the life that I've always dreamed about? This is number two for a reason. Odds are your dream life might incorporate some of the stuff that you've already identified in number one. So what's different? Imagine waking up excited to go to work. Now, where do you work? What are you doing for work? Is it what you're doing now or is it something different? But also let me ask you, is your dream job actually about doing something that you dream about or is it about running away from your current life? What about your home? Are you living in the house that you've always dreamed about? If yes, then congrats, that's awesome. If not, you may need to evaluate your budget or find ways to turn it into your dream home. When you can articulate what your dreams look like, you can start to finesse out the goals needed to make it happen. Sometimes we think our dream life is impossible and we literally make it impossible. Our dreams can seem so big that they're difficult to verbalize without breaking them into smaller pieces. Figure out what it is that you really, really want and what makes this dream so great. 
Number three, does time feel like the enemy? Then it's time to take control of your time. I seriously recommend keeping a log for at least a week of what you're doing with your time. This is the only resource that we cannot get back. Fortunes can be won and lost and won again, but time, once that second minute or hour hand moves to the right, is officially gone. How much time are you spending doing things that you don't enjoy doing or that are unnecessary? And is it necessary that you keep doing these things? And if so, do you need to keep them going for the entirety of your life? Or maybe there might be some other options out there. If you're working ridiculous hours with little to no breathing room, you're going to be exhausted and miserable. Are you in survival mode? And if you are, what is your plan for getting out? Or are you doing tasks that could be delegated to others in order to create more time? So you can use time more intentionally. Do you have jobs that you took on believing that you could handle them only to discover that you're getting buried beneath them? These extra tasks can get in the way and cause misery. If you can delegate out tasks, then by all means, delegate them out and use your newfound time with intention. Or perhaps you're just wasting time. How much time do you spend on social media? Pinterest. That's a black hole. (laughs) Or how many hours do you lose spending time playing games? You have to set boundaries. There's nothing wrong with downtime or fun time, but when it starts to eat up hours of your time, it can be the exact opposite. It no longer feels pleasant and enjoyable, but can instead feel like a waste of your time. Number four, what makes you unhappy? This question is probably easier to answer than the first question. What were your most unhappy moments in the last seven days or the last 30 days? What were you doing, thinking, or where were you when you were most unhappy? Are you spending time with people that you don't enjoy being around? Is it the realization that you're not living the life that you want to live? Or is it your weight or how you feel about yourself? Number five, do you hate your job? Are you unhappy with your job? What would you rather be doing instead other than doing what you're doing for a living? Would it be possible for you to find a different line of work? Or a side hustle so you can pay down debt and then maybe transition into a different line of work. Side hustles are a big thing. And there's a lot of information on the internet about people making money doing side jobs. Do you enjoy baking? Can you bake a product that you can market? Granted, this may not be for everyone. But the point is to start thinking about what you can do for a side hustle. Number six, do you feel antsy or impatient? Let's reference back to a certain question. Are you feeling antsy and impatient about doing something that you dream about, or is it about running away from your current life? Let me explain why I'm asking and why I would like you to reflect on this and understand the distinction. Let's pretend for a moment that you've decided to move to Costa Rica. It's been a dream of yours. 
You made this decision because you love the culture, living near the ocean. It's gorgeous. You can telecommute to work and economically it makes sense to make the move. So you're antsy and impatient for moving day to show up. This makes sense. You're moving towards something that you dream about. Now, let's pretend that you've decided to move to Costa Rica because you're running away from your current life. Let's pretend that you chose Costa Rica because it's a non-extradition country and you look bad in prison orange. Let's also pretend that you're feeling antsy and impatient about moving day before there's a knock at your door because you're on the run. While this seems like a quick fix to run away from your current life, you will discover that you cannot run away from your life forever. Eventually, they will catch up with you. And even the beautiful Costa Rican shores won't be able to keep your problems at bay for long. Number seven, how do you look at setbacks? Even after you know what it is about your life that needs to change and have come up with a game plan, there may be setbacks. Setbacks are a part of life. Regretfully, nothing ever goes perfectly. And it's how we deal with them that decides if we keep moving forward or throw up our hands in the air and use some colorful words. Sometimes setbacks occur because we're trying to grow faster than we're prepared to succeed. For example, think about the last time that you decided to embark on a fitness routine. Hmm, maybe last January. Do you remember that following day after you decided that 20 squats weren't enough? So you decided to shoot for 50 or 100. Do you remember trying to get out of bed or going up and down the stairs? You probably felt pretty incapacitated and you probably waited a bit to do squats again, if ever. So the point is, when we try to grow too fast, we end up with setbacks than if we were to grow slower. Take a moment and think about how you want to view a possible future setback. Are you going to look at it as proof that you'll never attain your dream? That you need to resign yourself to a life of mediocrity? Or are you going to view a setback as an opportunity to grow but at a slower pace that won't inhibit you? We're up to number eight. Are you living life fearlessly? Are you living life fearlessly or are you living someone else's life? Is fear the thing that's holding you back? Have you given fear the power to decide your future? If the answer is yes, then here's some good news. Fear is an emotion. It's not a fact 99% of the time. So now that you know the good news, let's talk a bit about fear. We tend to use emotional reasoning when we let fear make decisions outside of those that involve mortal danger. Unfortunately, we also tend to entertain worst-case scenarios that allow thoughts to run amok and other people's opinions to take priority. As a result, fear can be pretty insidious, and before you know it, you're living someone else's life. Number nine, are you ready for action? This is probably the scariest part for some folks and the most exciting part for others. If you've gotten here, you probably know that by this point, you're fed up with the way that your life is going. You probably also noted a few things that you need to evaluate by this point. 
But this part can be scary or exciting depending on who you are. But if you know that you need to make some changes to live the life you want, what do you have to lose? I think an important consideration is that there are different phases of life. And if you apply phase one thinking to all of them, you aren't evolving or taking advantage of what life has to offer. Minivan thinking when the soccer games are over. Have you been liberated from a demanding phase of life and been given permission to self-nurture and self-care, but missed the memo because you're stuck in phase one thinking? Put down the PBJ and grab the bubble bath. It's time you take a well-deserved break. If you don't take the time to self-evaluate, you miss the natural transition periods that help you organically graduate through life. shares the Wheel of Life, a self-assessment tool to find out what is not working in your life, found at medium.com. You will not be effective in changing your life if you don't identify the problem. The first step is always to understand what things are not working inside you and in your life. At times, it could be too overwhelming, so nothing works better than a good old pencil and paper. So grab yours now. This is a fabulous teaching tool and great for coaching. So I'm going to give you a moment. Ding, 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 ding. Okay, you got it? Okay. Basically, what you want to do is draw a circle. Okay, big circle. If you've got an eight and a half by 11, make it a big circle. Maybe turn it landscape style. Now, divide it into eight sections, like eight pieces of pie. Okay, go ahead. For those of you that are challenged at uh, geometry, I'll give you a moment. Okay, now I'm going to give you the eight section titles. So pick a pie and get started. Health, relationships, environment, career, money, Personal growth, brightness of life, and spirituality. We're going to use this to self-assess each sector of your life by giving it a value on a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being a complete disaster and 10 being, wow, this is awesome. Be honest with yourself and give an accurate value which will adequately represent your satisfaction with each aspect. So let's get started. Number one, health. In this section, you need to evaluate the way you feel, your appearance, how you look, mobility, how much you move throughout the day, mood, walks, how, many, how much time do you spend on fresh air, energy, nutrition, regimen, sport, or sleep. So take a moment and evaluate your health on a scale of 1 to 10. Where do you see your health? Number two, relationships. 
How satisfied and fulfilled are you with the quality of relationships in your life? Your communication with others? Your friendships? Your love, maybe with your partner? Your family? How close are you to your family? Take a moment and think about your relationships. Where would you put that on a scale of 1 to 10? Are you perfectly satisfied with all your relationships? Or is there room to improve? Number three, environment. Your physical environment includes your surroundings, your relatives, colleagues, acquaintances, your neighbors, even your opponents. Think about your environment. Who is right around you? How are those relationships within your environment? On a scale of 1 to 10, let's rate that section. Number four, your career. How satisfied are you with the work you're doing for a living? Your job, your career strategy, your business, your profession, the time investment into your career, your social status, your title. Take a moment and think about how satisfied you are with your career on a scale of 1 to 10. Let's think about money, expenses, income, life conditions. When you think about your money, how satisfied are you? Is this something that needs to grow or are you where you wanted to be? Number six, personal growth. Do you have enough time for self-development? How satisfied are you with your personal growth, education, coaching, special training, life's journey, personal growth, reading? Take a step back and evaluate your personal growth. This might have been a year for growth, and yet, maybe not. Number seven. Brightness of life. What is the quality of emotions you get from your life? What are the activities to make your life brighter? Entertainment, relaxation, hobby, traveling, impressions, fun. Let's think about that on a scale of 1 to 10. Where are you with the brightness of life? And number eight, spiritual life. Do you have a religion? Do you work on your spirituality? Do you express your spirit in art? What are your beliefs when it comes to religion, spiritual practices, meditations, belief, art? Where are you with your satisfaction on your spiritual life? Let's rate it 1 to 10. There you go. If you did everything correctly, you should have drawn a wheel of life. As you can see, they're in a certain order for a reason. 
Health is the basement for everything. If you lack health, your relationships will suffer. Your career will suffer, consequently decreasing your income. With no money, you can't travel. You can't afford to have time for personal growth. And you definitely won't think about spiritual life when, for example, you have nothing to eat. As you see, everything is interconnected. Your number one priority is to make it as round as possible. If your wheel is all crooked, you will logically feel lots of bumps on the road. If you want to have a smooth and pleasant ride, you need to harmonize the wheel by working hard on your weak sectors. Think about the actions you need to take in order to improve the quality of your life. For instance, maybe your health is depleted. How about starting a morning jog? Cold showers, going to the gym, eating clean. Maybe it's your relationships that are suffering. Maybe you need to find a new partner, make a romantic dinner, buy a gift for your significant, take your parents to dinner. Could be your environment. How about have lunch with a colleague, help your neighbor, go to new places in the city. It could be money. Maybe you need to save, collect, return debts. Your number two priority is the scale of the wheel. The scale of your life and the intensity of your experiences is directly proportional to the values you've just written on your wheel. Your next objective is to improve on the degree of satisfaction in any of those areas. Make sure you do things that add up to value in your life. Remember that everything is temporary. The way reveals itself under the feet of a walking man. Idleness is deadly. The determination is conquering. I love this exercise. How many of us start the new year thinking all we need to do to be happy and progress is to lose 10 pounds and start a new exercise routine? You dump all the holiday leftovers, purchase the celery and meat sticks, peruse the internet for the best gym special, and ta-da! you're back on track. Day 15, and you realize there might be more to the story. Maybe the pie you should have been consuming is on the wheel of life, and it's entitled relationships or spirituality. Maybe you're run down and depressed because you're depleted in more than just fiber and iron. Don't you worry. The holiday cookies are already in the trash, and my carbivoid diet is being activated as we speak. But I'm also taking a look at the entire wheel. For success and sustainability, I will need to address what else is suffering. Dr. Elizabeth Lombardo helps us understand how to make your resolutions a reality. Five ways to make changes that stick. Found at psychologytoday.com. Whether it's a New Year resolution or a resolution for new you at any time of the year, Sustained change can be difficult. One study found that 24% of people had dropped their resolutions by the time February rolled around, and by six months, over half of the people had given up. Luckily, it's not impossible to change your ways. And the best way to make that change? Drop the perfectionism and be better than perfect. Perfectionism, or that all-or-nothing mentality, gets in the way of maintained changes. 
perfectionism sounds something like this. I had one cookie and ruined my diet, so might as well eat the rest of the plate. I don't have time to meditate as long as I want to, so I'm not going to do it at all. I can't afford a gym membership, so I can't work out. This all-or-nothing mindset gets in the way of you making progress. The antidote to perfectionism, however, is not to give up. Giving up is actually a symptom of perfectionism. Instead, be better than perfect. Being better than perfect means you focus on the change that you want and why you want it. You take steps towards the goal, celebrating each step in the right direction. What's more, you stop judging yourself when you make a mistake. So here are five ways to make sustained changes by being better than perfect. Number one, focus on your why. Frequently, when people are making a change, they focus on what they don't like about it. If your resolution is to exercise, you may focus on how much you hate running or going to the gym. The secret, however, is to focus on what you want to make the change. What are the benefits of making this change? Consider psychological, physical, relationship, purpose, work, spirituality. For example, exercise has been shown to be a great way to release stress and decrease depression. That's good for your psychological health. Regarding your physical health, exercise can help you not only lose weight and tone up your body, but also help you fight infection by boosting your immune system. Number two, it's not failure, it's data. People often give up on a resolution or change when they revert back to their old ways. Maybe your resolution is to be more organized, and yet you realize at the end of the week that your desk is just as messy as always. Instead of beating yourself up and proclaiming, this will never work, use the situation as data. Information that you can learn from to make positive changes. For example, if your desk is a mess, you may want to set a reminder every afternoon to take five minutes and clean it up. Take and celebrate even small steps. People often bite off huge goals for a resolution. Perhaps it's to lose a significant amount of weight or to never eat sugar again or to never fight with your partner. While these are certainly wonderful aspirations, they are significant changes. The way to get to the top of the Empire State Building is not in one big step. There are a lot of steps that go into it. For you, celebrate each step in the right direction. And even if you revert to your old ways, try again. Don't have time for 20 minutes of meditation? Take five deep breaths. Hate going to the gym? Try an exercise video on YouTube. Don't have the money to eat fresh organic vegetables? Choose one or two that you'll incorporate in your diet this week. Number four, schedule it. Sure, it sounds like a great idea to have a goal of lessening your stress, but how can you actually do it? The key is to figure out actionable steps and then schedule them. Perhaps you choose to wake up 10 minutes early to meditate. Or maybe you set a reminder mid-morning when you tend to be more stressed to stop and take five breaths. And number five, get an accountability partner. Choose someone to whom you will be accountable. 
whether it's your partner, a friend, or a coach. Sure, you may want to make the change, but when you're accountable to someone else, you're more likely to stick with a new behavior. Oh my goodness, the all or nothing thinking is in my very fiber and how I'm wired. Knowing how you're hardwired is important to making changes in your behavior. This is the part of getting real with yourself. You have to know your limitations. You may not be able to have one cookie, one cigarette, or one glass of wine. You may not be able to socially drink or to take up baking as a new hobby. The day I found moderation versus abstinence in a magazine article was the day I met part of my brain circuitry. Why it's easier for me to say no instead of just a little, and how some people could never go without but can moderate their intake successfully. This made total sense to me and described to a T the feeling that I was having. Once you come to terms with what you think and why, you can start working with your brain and your body in a more harmonious way. Sometimes it's going to take some healthy habits. We've all got habits. We've all got routine. Let's take some time and learn a little bit more about those. Over at Be Smart YouTube channel, I found how habits can change your life and your brain. Super important for right now. Take a listen. Hey, smart people, Joe here. What if I told you that the reason you had minty fresh breath this morning was because 100 years ago, an advertiser named Claude C. Hopkins was having trouble selling a brand of toothpaste. See, he needed to convince people that brushing their teeth should be a daily routine. And back then, it wasn't for most people. In the end, he was able to get half the American public to pick up a new behavior and repeat it every single day and pay money for his toothpaste. How did he do it? By tapping into neuroscience and decoding the awesome power of habits. Habits, we've all got them. You can probably think of a few of your own. I always seem to tap my feet when I'm trying to sit still, and I find myself biting my nails whenever I'm focused on reading or watching a movie. I don't consciously think about doing these things. It's because I've done them so often, they become a habit. We know habits as things we do automatically, tasks we do subconsciously, like walking or high-fiving. There's tons of things that technically count as habits, and they can be good or bad. So why do we form habits? And how do we learn new ones or unlearn old ones? If you take the same path to school or work, then you likely have that pathway burned into your brain. You can probably walk it without even paying attention. Habits are built in a similar way. New neural pathways are formed when you repeat a behavior. And the more that a brain circuit fires, the easier it becomes for our brain to do whatever that circuit controls without conscious thought. Think back to how you learned how to ride a bike. At first, riding a bike is tough. You've got to learn how to pedal and balance and turn all at the same time. You have to consciously think about each action. This happens in an area of your brain called the prefrontal cortex, the part associated with complex thought. But eventually, after you ride enough, you no longer have to think consciously about each individual action. 
Riding a bike has become a habit, and now it's controlled by different parts of your brain. One area involved in habitual behavior is the striatum, which actually releases chemicals that inhibit the complex thinking part of your brain for that task. This is your brain being efficient. By turning down your brain's thinking requirements for, say, bike riding, it's free to think other things, like how exactly do igloos keep you warm? Let's go back to Claude Hopkins and his toothpaste scheme. Claude realized habits have three key ingredients, a cue, a behavior, and a reward. A cue is something that triggers a behavior, like how the alarm clock triggers you punching the snooze button, and this is followed by the reward, nine sweet extra minutes of sleep. Claude got people thinking about that slimy film on your teeth in the morning, thanks to the bacteria that colonize your mouth overnight. The sticky film is the cue that triggers brushing behavior. Well, what's the reward? Claude convinced people this film would make their smile look ugly, and a prettier smile was the reward for brushing. Claude understood that with the right cue and the right reward, you could entice people to do just about whatever behavior you wanted. But what he didn't know was that rewarding a behavior can actually create a craving. And this is what makes habits so strong. Scientists now know that special neurons in the brain can fire and give us chemical rewards. But what's weird is that once a habit and a reward are tied together in our brain, those reward neurons start firing before you do the behavior. This is what causes craving, and it's why you want popcorn when you go to the movies, why you pick up your bad habits when you see other people doing them, and why habits are so hard to break. Claude knew a prettier smile would be a reward that would make people brush but he didn't anticipate that over time, people would subconsciously start craving the minty tingle that Pepsodent left in their mouth. People's brains actually started to crave toothbrushing. So how can you train yourself to pick up a new habit, like eating an apple a day? And if you've got a bad habit, can you break it or are you stuck with it forever? Scientists used to think that our brains didn't change all that much once we reached adulthood, like concrete once it's solidified. But it turns out your brain is much more like clay. It's a super flexible organ. The chemistry of your brain is constantly changing as you go about your day in response to everything from learning to moving to hunger. These chemical releases are short-lived, but over time, if the same behaviors are repeated, the physical structure of the brain is actually changed. You create new neural pathways. And because the neural network has changed, so does the way the information flows. When a behavior is repeated often enough, a habit is formed. There's this famous idea that a new skill is learned by putting 10,000 hours of work into it, but it's not that simple. The amount of time differs hugely between tasks and between people. What's for sure is that when it comes to making a habit, whether it's learning guitar or meditation, there's simply no substitute for repetition. The reason bad habits are so hard to break is because you've literally woven new neural networks into your brain. That doesn't go away overnight. So give yourself a break. And if you're trying to change a habit, know that it's usually best to try and replace bad behavior with a new behavior, instead of just trying to erase the pattern altogether. The good thing is that now you know you have the power to change your brain. It's as easy as brushing your teeth. And if you haven't made it a habit already, stay curious.
want to share Encouragementology with a friend who needs to know they're not alone in this journey of self-discovery, you can visit Encouragementology.com or anywhere you stream your content to receive this episode and all others. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram for additional encouragement throughout the week. So I challenge you, take the time to get to know you, the real you, what is working and what is not, so that you can work together and make the necessary changes to transition into the next phase of life. I know you can do it. Thank you for listening to Encouragementology with Kendall Boyson, where we find positive ways to handle some of life's challenges. Someone's room to the